Chapter Seventeen, Part Two of Fox's Book of Martyrs, Volume Two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jason Justice. Fox's Book of Martyrs, Volume Two by John Fox, edited by William Byron Forbush. Chapter Seventeen: Rise and Progress of the Protestant Religion in Ireland, with an account of the Barbarous Massacre of sixteen forty one part two in the barony of tyrawley the papists at the instigation of the friars compelled above forty english protestants some of whom were women and children to the hard fate of either falling by the sword or of drowning in the sea these choosing the latter were accordingly forced by the naked weapons of their inexorable persecutors into the deep where with their children in their arms they waded up to their chins and afterwards sunk down and perished together. In the castle of Liskul, upwards of one hundred and fifty men, women, and children were all burnt together, and at the castle of Monea, not less than one hundred were all put to the sword. Great numbers were also murdered at the castle of Tula, which was delivered up to Maguire on condition of having fair quarter, but no sooner had that base villain got possession of the place then he ordered his followers to murder the people, which was immediately done with the greatest cruelty. Many others were put to deaths of the most horrid nature, and such as could have been invented only by demons instead of men. Some of them were laid with the center of their backs on the axle-tree of a carriage, with their legs resting on the ground on one side, and their arms and head on the other. In this position, one of the savages scourged the wretched object on the thighs, legs, etc., while another sat on furious dogs, who tore to pieces the arms and upper parts of the body, and in this dreadful manner were they deprived of their existence. Great numbers were fastened to horses' tails, and the beasts being set on full gallop by their riders, the wretched victims were dragged along until they expired. Others were hung on lofty gibbets, and a fire being kindled under them, they finished their lives, partly by hanging, and partly by suffocation. Nor did the more tender sex escape the least particle of cruelty that could be projected by their merciless and furious persecutors. Many women of all ages were put to death of the most cruel nature. Some, in particular, were fastened with their backs to strong posts, and being stripped to their waists. The inhuman monsters cut off their right breasts with shears, which, of course, put them to the most excruciating torments, and in this position they were left, until, from the loss of blood, they expired. Such was the savage ferocity of these barbarians, that even unborn infants were dragged from the womb to become victims to their rage. Many unhappy mothers were hung naked in the branches of trees, and their bodies being cut open, the innocent offsprings were taken from them, and thrown to the dogs and swine and to increase the horrid scene they would oblige the husband to be a spectator before suffering himself. At the town of Isencaith, they hanged above a hundred Scottish Protestants, showing them no more mercy than they did to the English. Maguire, going to the castle of that town, desired to speak with the governor. When being admitted, he immediately burnt the records of the county which were kept there. He then demanded one thousand pounds of the governor, which, having received, he immediately compelled him to hear mass, and to swear that he would continue to do so, and to complete his horrid barbarities. 
he ordered the wife and children of the governor to be hanged before his face, besides massacring at least one hundred of the inhabitants. Upward of one thousand men, women, and children were driven in different companies to Portadown Bridge, which was broken in the middle, and there compelled to throw themselves into the water, and such as attempted to reach the shore were knocked on the head. In the same part of the country, at least four thousand persons were drowned in different places. The inhuman papists, after stripping them, drove them like beasts to the spot fixed on for their destruction, and if any, through fatigue or natural infirmities, were slack in their pace, they pricked them with their swords and pikes, and to strike terror on the multitude, they murdered some by the way. Many of these poor wretches, when thrown into the water, endeavored to save themselves by swimming to the shore, but their merciless persecutors prevented their endeavors taking effect by shooting them in the water. In one place, one hundred and forty English, after being driven for many miles stark naked, and in the most severe weather, were all murdered on the same spot, some being hanged, others burnt, some shot, and many of them burned alive, and so cruel were their tormentors that they would not suffer them to pray before they robbed them of their miserable existence. Other companies they took under the pretense of safe conduct, who from that consideration proceeded cheerfully on their journey. But when the treacherous papists had got them to a convenient spot, they butchered them all in the most cruel manner. One hundred and fifteen men, women, and children were conducted by order of Sir Phelim O'Neill to Portadown Bridge, where they were all forced into the river and drowned. One woman, named Campbell, finding no probability of escaping, suddenly clasped one of the chief papists in her arms and held him so fast that they were both drowned together. In Killiman, they massacred forty-eight families, among whom twenty-two were burnt together in one house. The rest were either hanged, shot, or drowned. In Kilmore, the inhabitants, which consisted of about two hundred families, all fell victims to their rage. Some of them sat in the stocks until they confessed where their money was, after which they put them to death. The whole county was one common scene of butchery, and many thousands perished in a short time, by sword, famine, fire, and others the most cruel deaths that rage and malice could invent. These bloody villains showed so much favor to some as to dispatch them immediately, but they would by no means suffer them to pray. Others they imprisoned in filthy dungeons, putting heavy bolts on their legs, and keeping them there until they were starved to death. At Castle they put all the Protestants into a loathsome dungeon, where they kept them together for several weeks, in the greatest misery. At length they were released, when some of them were barbarously mangled, and left on the highways to perish at leisure. Others were hanged, and some were buried in the ground upright, with their heads above the earth, and the papists, to increase their misery, treating them with derision during their sufferings. In the country of Antrim, they murdered nine hundred and fifty-four Protestants in one morning, and afterwards about twelve hundred more in that county. At a town called Langerie, they forced twenty-four Protestants into a house, and then setting fire to it, burned them together, counterfeiting their outcries in derision to the others. Among other acts of cruelty, they took two children belonging to an English woman and dashed out their brains before her face, after which they threw the mother into a river, and she was drowned. 
they served many other children in the like manner, to the great affliction of their parents, and the disgrace of human nature. In Kilkenny, all the Protestants, without exception, were put to death, and some of them in so cruel a manner as perhaps was never before thought of. They beat an Englishwoman with such savage barbarity that she had scarce a whole bone left, after which they threw her into a ditch. But not satisfied with this, they took her child, a girl of about six years of age, and after ripping its belly, threw it to its mother, there to languish until it perished. They forced one man to go to Mass, after which they ripped open his body, and in that manner left him. They sawed another asunder, cut the throat of his wife, and after having dashed out the brains of their child and infant, threw it to the swine who greedily devoured it. After committing these and several other horrid cruelties, they took the heads of seven Protestants, and among them that of a pious minister, all of which they fixed up at the market cross. They put a gag in the minister's mouth, then slit his cheeks to his ears, and laying a leaf of a Bible before it, bid him preach, for his mouth was wide enough. They did several other things by way of derision, and expressed the greatest satisfaction at having thus murdered and exposed the unhappy Protestants. It is impossible to conceive the pleasure these monsters took in exercising their cruelty, and to increase the misery of those who fell into their hands, when they butchered them they would say, Your soul to the devil! One of these miscreants would come into a house, with his hands imbued in blood, and boast that it was English blood, and that his sword had pricked the white skins of the Protestants, even to the hilt. When any one of them had killed a Protestant, others would come and receive gratification in cutting and mangling the body, after which they left it exposed to be devoured by dogs. And when they had slain a number of them, they would boast that the devil was beholden to them for sending so many souls to hell. But it is no wonder they should thus treat the innocent Christians, when they hesitated not to commit blasphemy against God and his most holy word. In one place they burnt two Protestant Bibles, and then said they had burnt hell-fire. In the church at Powers Court they burnt the pulpit, pews, chests, and Bibles belonging to it. They took other Bibles, and after wetting them with dirty water, dashed them in the faces of the Protestants, saying, We know you love a good lesson. Here is an excellent one for you. Come tomorrow, and you shall have as good a sermon as this. Some of the Protestants they dragged by the hair of their heads into the church where they stripped and whipped them in the most cruel manner, telling them at the same time that if they came tomorrow, they should hear the like sermon. In Munster they put to death several ministers in the most shocking manner. One in particular they stripped stark naked, and driving him before them pricked him with swords and darts until he fell down and expired. In some places they plucked out the eyes and cut off the hands of the Protestants, and in that manner turned them into the fields there to wander out their miserable existence. They obliged many young men to force their aged parents to a river where they were drowned, wives to assist in the hanging of their husbands, and mothers to cut the throats of their children. In one place they compelled a young man to kill his father, and then immediately hanged him. In another they forced a woman to kill her husband, and then obliged the son to kill her, and afterwards shot him through the head. At a place called Glaslow, a popish priest, with some others, prevailed on forty Protestants to be reconciled to the Church of Rome. They had no sooner done this than they told them they were in good faith, 
and that they would prevent their falling from it and turning heretics by sending them out of this world, which they did by immediately cutting their throats. In the county of Tipperary, upwards of thirty Protestants, men, women, and children, fell into the hands of the Papists, who, after stripping them naked, murdered them with stones, pole axes, swords, and other weapons. In the county of Mayo, about sixty Protestants, fifteen of whom were ministers, were, upon covenant, to be safely conducted to Galway, by one Edmund Burke and his soldiers. But that inhuman monster by the way drew his sword, as an intimation of his design to the rest, who immediately followed his example and murdered the whole, some of whom they stabbed, others were run through the body with pikes, and several were drowned. In Queen's County, great numbers of Protestants were put to the most shocking deaths. Fifty or sixty were placed together in one house, which, being set on fire, they all perished in the flames. Many were stripped naked, and being fastened to horses by ropes placed around their middles, were dragged through bogs until they expired. Some were hung by the feet to tenor hooks, driven into poles, and then in that wretched posture left until they perished. Others were fastened to the trunk of a tree, with a branch at the top. Over this branch hung one arm, which principally supported the weight of the body, and one of the legs was turned up and fastened to the trunk, while the other hung straight. In this dreadful and uneasy posture did they remain as long as life would permit, pleasing spectacles to their bloodthirsty persecutors. At Clowns, seventeen men were buried alive, and an Englishman, his wife, five children, and a servant-maid were all hanged together, and afterward thrown into a ditch. They hung many by the arms to the branches of trees, with a weight to their feet, and others by the middle, in which posture they left them until they expired. Several were hanged on windmills, and before they were half dead, the barbarians cut them in pieces with their swords. Others, both men, women, and children, they cut and hacked in various parts of their bodies, and left them wallowing in their blood to perish where they fell. One poor woman they hanged on a gibbet, with her child, an infant, about a twelve-month-old, the latter of whom was hanged by the neck with the hair of its mother's head, and in that manner finished its short but miserable existence. In the county of Tyrone, no less than three hundred Protestants were drowned in one day, and many others were hanged, burned, and otherwise put to death. Dr. Maxwell, rector of Tyrone, lived at this time near Armagh, and suffered greatly from these merciless savages. This person, in his examination, taken upon oath before the king's commissioners, declared that the Irish papists owned to him that they, at several times, had destroyed in one place twelve thousand Protestants, whom they inhumanly slaughtered at Glenwood in their flight from the county of Armagh. As the river ban was not fordable, and the bridge broken down, the Irish forced thither at different times a great number of unarmed defenseless Protestants, and with pikes and swords violently thrust about one thousand into the river where they miserably perished. Nor did the Cathedral of Armagh escape the fury of those barbarians, it being maliciously set on fire by their leaders, and burnt to the ground. And to extirpate, if possible, the very race of those unhappy Protestants who lived in or near Armagh, the Irish first burnt all their houses, and then gathered together many hundreds of those innocent people, young and old, on pretense of allowing them a guard and safe conduct to Coleraine, when they treacherously fell on them by the way, and inhumanly murdered them. 
the like horrid barbarities with those we have particularized were practiced on the wretched protestants in almost all parts of the kingdom and when an estimate was afterward made of the number who were sacrificed to gratify diabolical souls of the papists it amounted to one hundred and fifty thousand but it now remains that we proceed to the particulars that followed these desperate wretches flushed and grown insolent with success though by methods attended with such excessive barbarities as perhaps not to be equaled soon got possession of the castle of newry where the king's stores and ammunition were lodged and with as little difficulty made themselves masters of dundal they afterward took the town of rd where they murdered all the protestants and then proceeded to drogheda the garrison of drogheda was in no condition to sustain a siege notwithstanding which as often as the irish renewed their attacks they were vigorously repulsed by a very unequal number of the king's forces and a few faithful protestant citizens under sir henry tickborne the governor assisted by the lord viscount moore the siege of drogheda began on the thirtieth of november sixteen forty one and held until the fourth of march sixteen forty two when sir phelim o'neill and the irish miscreants under him were forced to retire in the meantime ten thousand troops were sent from scotland to the remaining protestants in ireland which being properly divided in the most capital parts of the kingdom happily eclipsed the power of the irish savages and the protestants for a time lived in tranquillity in the reign of james the second they were again interrupted for in a parliament held at dublin in the year sixteen eighty nine great numbers of the protestant nobility clergy and gentry of ireland were attained of high treason the government of the kingdom was at that time invested in the earl of tyrconnell a bigoted papist and an inveterate enemy to the protestants by his orders they were again persecuted in various parts of the kingdom the revenues of the city of dublin were seized and most of the churches converted into prisons and had it not been for the resolution and uncommon bravery of the garrisons in the city of londonderry and the town of inniskillen there had not one place remained for refuge to the distressed protestants in the whole kingdom but all must have been given up to king james and to the furious popish party that governed him the remarkable siege of londonderry was opened on the eighteenth of april sixteen eighty nine by twenty thousand papists the flower of the irish army the city was not properly circumstanced to sustain a siege the defenders consisting of a body of raw undisciplined protestants who had fled thither for shelter and half a regiment of lord mountjoy's disciplined soldiers with the principal part of the inhabitants making it only seven thousand three hundred and sixty-one fighting men the besieged hoped at first that their stores of corn and other necessities would be sufficient but by the continuance of the siege their wants increased and these became at last so heavy that for a considerable time before the siege was raised a pine of coarse barley a small quantity of greens few spoonfuls of starch with a very moderate proportion of horse-flesh were reckoned a week's provision for any soldier and they were at length reduced to such extremities that they ate dogs cats and mice their miseries increasing with the siege many through mere hunger and want pined and languished away or fell dead in the streets and it is remarkable that when their long expected succors arrived from england they were upon the point of being reduced to this alternative either to preserve their existence by eating each other 
or attempting to fight their way through the Irish, which must have infallibly produced their destruction. These succors were most happily brought by the ship Mount Joy of Derry and the Phoenix of Coleraine, at which time they had only nine lean horses left, with a pint of meal to each man. By hunger and the fatigues of war, their 7,361 fighting men were reduced to 4,300, one-fourth a part of whom were rendered unserviceable. As the calamities of the besieged were great, so likewise were the terrors and sufferings of their Protestant friends and relations, all of whom, even women and children, were forcibly driven from the country thirty miles round, and inhumanly reduced to the sad necessity of continuing some days and nights without food or covering before the walls of the town, and were thus exposed to the continual fire both of the Irish army from without and the shots of their friends from within. But the succors from England, happily arriving, put an end to their affliction and the siege was raised on the 31st of July, having been continued upwards of three months. The day before the siege of Londonderry was raised, the Inniskillers engaged a body of 6,000 Irish Roman Catholics at Newton, Butler, or Crown Castle, of whom near 5,000 were slain. This, with the defeat at Londonderry, dispirited the Papists, and they gave up all farther attempts to persecute the Protestants. The year following, 1690, the Irish took up arms in favor of the abdicated prince, King James II, but they were totally defeated by his successor, King William III. That monarch, before he left the country, reduced them to a state of subjection in which they have ever since continued. But notwithstanding all this, the Protestant interest at present stands upon a much stronger basis than it did a century ago. The Irish, who formerly led an unsettled and roving life in the woods, bogs, and mountains, and lived on the depredation of their neighbors they who in the morning seized the prey and at night divided the spoil have for many years past become quiet and civilized they taste the sweets of english society and the advantages of civil government they trade in our cities and are employed in our manufactories they are received also into english families and treated with great humanity by the protestants End of chapter 17 Recording by Jason Justice